You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. One of the most recent longitudinal studies on human longevity found that it is not just our lifestyle practices, but it is our beliefs about aging that deeply impact our cellular expression all the way down to the level of our genes. Yes, our thoughts influence our gene expression. Every thought that we think has correlating chemistry that's released into our bodies. And it is a primary controller, an epigenetic controller of what our cells are doing. Now with this being said, there are certain cultures around the world that have automated conditions, cultural conditions that make their beliefs about aging healthy, that make their lifestyle practices correlated with healthy aging healthy, and also their relationships and how they relate with one another in these healthier cultures. That's really the secret that shouldn't be a secret. And on this episode, we're gonna be talking about all of this because we're looking at, first and foremost, what are some of these lifestyle factors and relationship ingredients what are some new things for us to take on as far as our beliefs about aging and how we're relating with the world around us that are going to help us to age more healthfully? Because aging is just going to happen. All right. It's a part of the package when we signed up for this earth experience. But right now we have the opportunity to choose how we go through this process. And there are incredible demonstrations about what's possible. And also we have many, many demonstrations about the potential downsides and degradation that today more than ever, so much of it is largely unnecessary. There's so much unnecessary suffering, but we have to take our power into our hands and do the best that we can to stack conditions in our favor. And so when you hear about these places like these blue zones where they have the most centurions, people living over a hundred years and looking at their lifestyle, it's not just the food. There are other components to this, but the food absolutely does matter. We're going to talk about that today, but there are other factors in this equation that need to be talked about because again, it's not just about living a long life. It's living a long, healthy life. It's not just increasing our lifespan, but increasing our health span. And on this episode, we've got one of the top nutrition and fitness experts in the world to help us to understand what's really going on in these blue zones. In addition, we're going to be talking about why longevity starts at a young age. It doesn't just happen, our focus on longevity, once we get a little bit longer in the tooth or a little bit longer along that chronological age. It starts with the choices in the environment that we grow up in. And why getting kids involved with food and food preparation is so important right now, today more than ever. Which categories of nutrient-dense foods have been overlooked and often cooked in unsavory ways and what you can do to add them in and to make them delicious. We're gonna be talking about so many incredible things. So this one is definitely very special. Now, if you're really wanting to improve your health and fitness this year, I've got something really, really special for you. The folks at Organifi reached out to me and they bought a huge amount of the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook to give away. That's right, I couldn't believe it when they let me know about this and they were putting this together as a bonus along with one of their most remarkable bundles with their superfoods that you're going to find. They've called it the Eat Smarter Cookbook Companion Kit and this includes their incredible gold formula which is based on the powers of turmeric and this delicious turmeric latte. I talked about turmeric at length in the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook and different ways to utilize it. And part of the reason, this was published in the European Journal of Nutrition and covered that compounds in turmeric can downregulate inflammatory cytokines and upregulate the activity of adiponectin and other satiety-related hormones, helping us to feel more satiated and helping us to burn fat more efficiently. In addition, turmeric has been found to improve insulin sensitivity, reduce blood fats, and directly act upon fat cells. All right. And to top it off, there's so many different benefits here, but also it's one of the most remarkable foods that fits into this category of having anti-angiogenic properties, meaning that it's been found to cut off the blood supply to cancer cells. It's special, truly. It's a whole body 
nourishment. And that's the basis of the Organifi Gold Blend, all organic. And it also has these complementary biopotentiators like cinnamon, like ginger, and also like reishi mushroom, medicinal mushroom that has been found in multiple studies to improve our sleep quality and a lot more improve the health of our immune system. So they've got the gold blend in this kit. They've also got the red juice blend. And this has these incredible superfruits, these concentrates, all organic, that have been found to improve the health of our microbiome, our metabolic health, and even improve things like our energy and stamina, all backed by science. And to top it off, the trifecta in this kit is Organifi's collagen. It supports metabolic health, skin health to help to prevent fine lines and wrinkles. And unlike most collagen products, Organifi's collagen utilizes multiple forms of collagen. So this incredible kit, when you purchase this kit at 20% off, by the way, you're going to get a free copy of the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook sent directly to your door. Go to Organifi.com forward slash smarter kit right now and take advantage of this incredible Eat Smarter Cookbook companion kit. You're going to get 20% off this incredible bundle of superfoods and also a free copy of the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook. This is amazing. So very special. Head over there. Check them out. It's Organifi.com forward slash smarter kit. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash smarter kit right now and take advantage of this incredible bundle just in time for the new year and the holidays and getting a fresh start of empowerment good nutrition and education because as you know there are over 250 scientific references in the eat smarter family cookbook along with 100 delicious recipes and it's a usa today national bestseller very very special book and you're going to get that hookup for free what a wonderful gift from the folks at organifi and on that note let's get to the apple podcast review of the week another five-star review titled a must listen by m velasco 07 i recently discovered the model health show and have been consistently impressed by the depth of insights and knowledge shared in each episode i truly learn something new every time i tune in Highly recommend giving it a listen. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your voice over on Apple Podcasts. I truly do appreciate that. And if you're so inclined, if you feel inspired, pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the Model Health Show. It truly does mean a lot. And without further ado, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Ben Greenfield is a New York Times bestselling author, health consultant, and speaker. And he's been featured in a plethora of health and wellness publications. He has expertise in longevity, anti-aging, biohacking, fitness, nutrition, cognitive performance, positive psychology, and many other aspects of health and wellness. Let's dive into this conversation with the one and only Ben Greenfield. All right, my guy, Ben Greenfield. Hey, hey. I'm so happy to see you, man. It's been a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm truly, truly happy that you're here. It's been a while because... You know, you're up in in Spokane, and I'm happy that I'm here too. Not in Spokane, Washington. Not that I don't love it, but I was telling you before we started recording, I've literally got like cold blisters on my fingers and my toes right now because I've been out hunting for the past couple of days, and it's less than 20 degrees out there, and you yeah. know, you, you, get, you can't wear your gloves some of the time because you're holding your arrows and your bow, and your feet don't get to move. So it was nice to go for a walk in the sunshine today in the in a balmy what 50 degrees. Yeah, we're yeah. dressed. We're dressed yeah. very differently right mm -hmm. now because yeah. of your pre-exposure. Exactly. No, for the, people that can't is, see us, I'm, I'm in a hoodie. Hot to me. In some pants. And you're dressed He's up in like short you're going shorts. To Eskimo country. Short yeah. shorts. And, a tee. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, I'm just I'm happy that you're here, and um, you know you've created something remarkable, even with your your new cookbook, and it's focused around something bigger than just food. Funny enough. And you actually, the way that you put it together, mm -hmm. you said that it's biohacking meets molecular gastronomy. That sounds good to me. I just like <laughs> to use big multi-syllabalic words. So yeah, boundless kitchen. It's uh, just a bastardization of cooking, basically. You know? <laughs> part of gastronomy, there's many facets of it, but part of yeah. it has to do with culture. Yeah. And that's the part that really spoke to me because I have a project that's focused on the same thing, food and culture, mm -hmm. and blending those together, but through your lens and your expertise with biohacking, and it's, it's something really special. And if you could, I wanna talk a little bit about the inspiration behind creating that, because it's a lot of work to put a cookbook together, as you know, but why did you create it in the way that you it's did? A lot of fun work. 
I like I've, it's my second cookbook and I love it because in the whole promotional launch, you're cooking all sorts of things that you usually have to eat. There's a ton of new spices and ingredients and cooking methods and tools. I, I think of cooking the same way I think of language and music, right? Neurogenesis and neuroplasticity and satisfying curiosity and marrying like hedonism to education. And for me as a foodie, writing a cookbook is it's, it's not a low lift, but it is an enjoyable lift. Uh, you know, everything from getting the so-called food porn photos back from the test kitchen to hearing that they made the baked donut recipe better with a half teaspoon extra baking powder to, you know, then seeing all the photos and it come to life. And like you, I, I've read your cookbook, uh, the, the, the family cookbook. And like you, I don't just like to give someone a recipe. I like to teach you why are you eating organ meats or why are you choosing grass-fed, grass-finished, or you know what are the properties of these, these different mineral-rich nutrients or why would we pay attention to the gel-like hydrating water consistency of produce that's, that's rich in structured water or compounds like sea moss gel or you know shirataki noodles or whatever. So... I think it's super fun and the inspiration for it was literally just to take what I like to do anyways and you know kind of like Kevin Kelly's 1000 true fans concept it's like well if I like to do these crazy things in the kitchen there's got to be at least a thousand other people who might enjoy taking out sous vide and trying out a 72 hour brisket recipe to see what happens when you do something other than the barbecue grill you know yeah oh man and also your your family's a part of this as well you know your kids mm -hmm. And why is it important, especially today, you know, it's kind of it's on the endangered species list a little bit of, you know, kids being in the kitchen and being involved mm -hmm. in food preparation and it's a skill set. So why is it important from your perspective to teach our kids about food preparation? It is a skill set and it's something that mom and I have really emphasized from an early age, very early age here when they could barely even stand, take this pinch of sugar and put it into the pancake recipe, or, you know, dad's going to hold you in an arm and, and hold this whisk in your hand and you're going to stir the gravy and just giving them a real, real intimate relationship with food from an early age culminating in, I believe it was when Tim Ferriss published his book on learning the four hour chef, which some people think is a cookbook. It's a book about learning. It's a great book, but there is a spread in that book with something like 32 different variations of scrambled eggs, right? Moroccan scrambled eggs with cumin and coriander and Greek scrambled eggs with feta cheese and tomatoes and Japanese scrambled eggs with, you know, nori and kombu and dolce. And, and so I brought my sons through the process of making a good scrambled egg and then spicing it accordingly. And they began to make themselves scrambled eggs every morning for breakfast. Now they're way beyond that. They're scones and biscotti and Dutch babies and things that, that I'm not much of a baker, but you know, they, they bake and make these highly complex recipes from scratch. But it began with just making them a little part of each recipe and then starting with a, with a simple protein with the right spices and herbs to make it unique. Scrambled eggs, I think that's a great place to start a kid, is something like scrambled eggs. And the benefit of it for a kid, I think most importantly is they don't fear food. How many adults do you know who who fear food, who just don't even know what to look for. How many clients have you worked with in nutrition who go to a restaurant? They're just like, well, I don't, I don't quite know. You know, I read the list, but I'm not sure. Do I order the the you know the Greek salad or the Asian coleslaw with the chicken, or do I do the burger and do I leave the bun off, or do I do the sourdough bun? And, you know, so it's it's very confusing as we age if we haven't developed an understanding of the ingredients and the components of food from an early age. That's part of it is just a real healthy relationship with an understanding of food ingredients and nutrients so that a child knows how to feed themselves in an intelligent manner. Then there's the learning process, right, which I already alluded to, just the fact that it's a great place to learn. You know, my, my kids are homeschooled, right, so it can count as math when they're putting together a baking recipe and learning metrics and measurements and volumes. It can count as social studies when they're learning to cook pasta when we get back from Italy, having taken cooking classes, and it could also count as language. Um, there is problem resolution. There's the need to find substitutions. There is lifestyle-based education by 
needing to go to the grocery store and shop around for ingredients, you know, in aisles on your own while mom's in a different section of the grocery store. There's so many components of it that that involve a learning process. And then I think finally, like a big part of it is just like independence. Like my sons can wander into the kitchen. They don't need DoorDash and they don't need Uber Eats and they don't need a hot pocket and they can go in there and craft a meal all the way down to cooking, you know, fine, you know, French dinners for mom and I on our anniversary. They, they select a different room of the house each year for our anniversary. We've been married 21 years. They've been doing this for about 11 years and they put together a, a recipe list and a menu and get a special room of the house ready with a table and photos and candles and a multi-course dinner that's a pretty extreme example of independence but they can do that for themselves they don't have to be fed they know how to go harvest plants from the backyard they know how to bow hunt they know how to go out in the chest freezer and choose what they want to have for dinner that night if mom and dad are out on a date they have friends over and they teach their friends how to cook and make desserts and scones and you know baked goodies and pies and cakes and cookies and they they do have a little bit of a sweet tooth i have to admit they, they take after their mother uh, but those would be a few examples would be the um the the comfort with food and the intimate relationship with it the learning process and then the independence that's fostered yeah yeah let's talk a little bit about the alternative you know when Mm. when our kids don't have that skill set and what we're seeing today and i shared that study in in my recent book as well this was published in jama in 2018 20-year analysis of ultra processed food consumption by u.s kids it's near 70% of the average kid's diet in the United States is ultra processed food. And of course there's gonna be people on different ends of the spectrum, but it's a serious issue. And I wanna talk a little bit about that with you in particular, because you have such an incredible insight into the world of food and nutrition. Why are these, I, I struggle to even call them foods, being such a big part of our kid's diet. Why is that detrimental? Well, again, it's it's multifactorial, but I would say some of the main things that come to mind is, first of all, when you look at the field of neuromuscular dentistry and you look at books like Jaws or the work of the Weston A. Price Foundation, you see that consumption of soft, processed, easily chewable or swallowable foods result in a detriment to the formation of the teeth and the jaw structure from early on in age all the way down to you know kids who aren't breastfed properly or for a long enough period of time not having the proper jaw strength experiencing teeth crowding eventually later on in life having to deal with the downfalls of mouth breathing including most notably and concerningly sleep apnea right so as far as the way that a child's face is built you essentially have a high risk of a child becoming a mouth breather who needs more dental work, who struggles more with crowding of the teeth, who may not even have, you know, as, as much as I think this might be considered a shallow observation, the type of beauty and symmetry that's often valued in human societies. Like there's, there's a lot that you're sacrificing by giving a child these hyper palatable foods that might be easier for you to spoon feed to them, but that ultimately don't help them develop the proper teeth, mouth, and jaw structure. It's not as though you cannot through dental work, through mouth guards, through proper alignment, working with a holistic or biological dentist, using mouth strengthening or jaw strengthening devices, you know, chewing gum like mastic gum, etc. redevelop a lot of those muscles later on in life. Um, you would also want to ensure that you're getting a high amount of fat soluble vitamins like A, D, E, and K, which is primarily based on a lot of the work by the Weston A. Price Foundation. Um, that, that's critical for, for teeth formation and for a healthy jaw and bone structure. And you don't find a lot of those in ultra processed foods. You know, you find a lot more sugars and in many cases, seed oils or, or high amount of carbohydrates. So I think the, the first concern would be the jaw and the mouth and the teeth and the mouth breathing and the sleep apnea and the things that occur later on in life. Uh, I don't think it's any secret. You know, you look at work of somebody like Vonnie Hari, the food babe, right? She recently wrote a book about this. All of the things that you find in 
the Gerber snack bites, which are basically like baby Cheetos or the, the Gerber baby food, which is essentially almost like liquid soda with seed oils added in. And there's, there's a lot of problems with these companies that are using cheap ingredients, artificial flavors, preservatives, et cetera, that will either result in nutrient deficiencies, some type of toxin buildup or, or, you know, seed oil buildup in the body or both. And there are ways around this. Like there is a concept, my wife did this with our sons, right? You take organic fruits and vegetables from farmer's market and local produce and you mash them together and you puree them and you blend them and you pour them into freezer bites and you make your own kind of like flash frozen baby food that you can then add fish oils to or olive oil or avocado oil or avocados in some of the recipes. There are companies like Serenity Baby Foods, for example. They have baby food pouches and little snack bites that are actually healthy. They use a higher amount of omega-3 fatty acids, a higher amount of protein, less sugar, less seed oils, no seed oils. And so there are done-for-you options out there besides Gerber. But I think that the next thing you got to be aware of is nutrient deficiencies combined with a lot of artificial compounds that might not serve a child. And then I think the last thing that comes to mind is again back to the intimate relationship a child develops with food and the lack of fear of food that they get when engaged with cooking at an early age you can also see a little bit of a psychological dopaminergically driven addiction to hyper palatable foods with colors with cartoon characters where the eyes are specifically designed to look at the child from the grocery store shelf as they walk by so they want to put it in their cart to the the fun of opening a crinkly shiny package to you know biting into a pop tart or pouring a colorful box of cereal and again like i'm i'm not saying that there aren't some healthy alternatives of packaged foods because there are like you hear about i don't know magic spoon cereal or you know there's there's different pop tart companies out there that are kind of sort of decent but when you step back and look at it ideally a child should be educated from an early age on eating food as close to nature as possible not food that you open out of packages you know it's one thing that drives me crazy i don't i know you do a lot of work in the nutrition industry is how much of a focus there is on food labels and interpreting food labels when my take on it is you shouldn't actually be eating a lot of food that has food labels on it in the first place right our pantry is mason glass jars full of seeds and nuts and oatmeal and grains and dirt cheap food from the dry bin of the grocery store that you cook but it doesn't have a food label on it and you know when you shop around the perimeter of the grocery store like a lot of times when it's in your refrigerator you know the, the produce and the crisper doesn't have the exact calories and carbs and protein ratios like you know i make water kefir and i make yogurt and i make all these little ferments at home and there's not a lot of like scannable food labels in the refrigerator in the pantry in the first place and i think it's important that a kid develop a relationship with food that doesn't look like it just came off the shelf of the grocery store yeah you know a huge insight is that the ingredient if you're going to see some labels the ingredient list is far more important than the so-called nutrition facts oh yeah you know to pay attention what's actually in this right this is 12 percent fat but where's the fat from like like exactly. you know is it canola oil or you know or avocado oil or is this you know i can't believe it's not butter or ghee or whatever exactly exactly and you know again with gastronomy and being tied to culture I want to ask you about this because a lot there's a lot of conversation going on now about these blue zones. Fortunately, mm -hmm. the work has been out for quite some time, and yeah. even prior to the advent of the the blue zones, researchers had identified certain spots around the world where people tend to live longer and healthier lives. And now it's kind of zeroed in on the food and the food quality, but it's getting expanded, and we're looking at the culture around it. You've got an important perspective about it that goes beyond what people are being uh, fed about blue zones. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so there's a lot that you can learn from the blue zones data. The thing I like about it is that because you're spreading the observations around the planet from Loma Linda to Sardinia to Nicoya to Okinawa, you're seeing a a less myopic focus on low carb, high fat, high carb, low fat, vegan, paleo, carnivore, whatever, even though it does seem to be skewed a little bit towards plant-based diets as far as being the champion of a lot of these blue zones, which is interesting because if you look at 
the actual data, there is a pretty high consumption of everything from meat, particularly fermented meat products, fish, eggs, you know, grass-fed, grass-finished meat. Fermented dairy is huge in a lot of these cultures, and so I'm not sure if it's you know politically driven or what. But but I I think that there is sometimes a little bit of an impression that people get that you got to eat vegan or plant-based to be one of the blue zones. And the fact is they are eating meat and dairy-based products, but they're far different than a Beyond Burger or a Big Mac. Like we're talking about fermentation and dry aging and wet aging and, you know, and, and dairy from naturally raised animals and even the consumption of, of a high amount of organ meats, you know, rich in life extending glycine versus the potentially, uh, uh, you know, age accelerating amino acid methionine. And so there's a lot there, but when you step back and look at common characteristics of the blue zones, you do see things that no matter what diet you eat are going to pop up over and over again. For example, uh, a high intake of a wide variety of herbs and spices and even plants, right? Not a strict plant-based diet, but eating sometimes over a hundred different varietals. So the amount of polyphenols and flavanols and even so-called plant defense mechanisms that you're getting exposed to in small amounts on a regular basis to induce cellular resilience, you see that. Uh, you see in many cases, you know, and I know this confuses a lot of people, but microdosing with some type of alcohol, right? Bitters and digestifs and different liqueurs like, you know, the you know, wild plant extracted Croatian Palenkovic or Italian Ibo Libo or these type of liqueurs that are nearly medicinal or even just organic biodynamic wine that's grown using old world methods with less pesticides and herbicides and a higher concentration of antioxidants, lower concentration of sugar. You see some semblance often of fasting, either religious fasting or detoxification-based fasting or community-based fasting. You know, you look at like the Mediterranean diet. A lot of people think that's, you know, unlimited breadsticks and you know, giant <laughs> refills of salad bowls from Olive Garden. But my dad, he practices the Eastern Orthodox religion. And like half the year, he's on some kind of a protein-restricted, oil-restricted fast, right? Which I guarantee is definitely correlated with limited activation of mTOR, some amount of lifespan extension. And there's obviously a sweet spot with protein and excess protein restriction can result in frailty or sarcopenia. But taking a break from food and having that systematically woven into a society, I think that's smart as well. Uh, perhaps most importantly, from a food standpoint, you see a relationship with food that involves eating it in a relaxed, grateful, parasympathetic state, often surrounded by people, with family, with friends. Uh, meaning that you and I know this, like when you're talking and playing games and with family at the dinner table, you're chewing your food, you are spending more time eating it, you're giving your digestive system a chance to break it down in terms of the enzymes and the hormones produced. You feel fuller, faster. You know, when you're playing an hour-long game of Monopoly at the dinner table, you'd think you'd go back for seconds or thirds. But for me, you know, I take a half hour to eat that first course because I'm too busy building up my properties and I'm, I'm full by the, <laughs> by the time I'm, I'd normally be going back for seconds because I'm eating too quick. Quickly. And so there's that element of the body being ready to receive food because you're eating it in a glad, grateful state, surrounded by people not sucking down a superfood smoothie while driving 60 miles an hour down the highway on your on your way to work. You know, your body receives that food far differently. When you throw some of those variables in with things like sunlight exposure, nature exposure, walking your whatever pack of goats to the top of a mountain in the morning, you know, natural water intake, low intake of processed packaged foods like we talked about earlier, low intake of seed oils, and generally more natural lifestyle, I think that you create a scenario where you, you can have a really long-lived person. And you know, granted, there are exceptions to that, like the gin chugging cigarette smoking grandma in Sardinia is like 110 years old. But then again, even that person is getting a lot of physical activity in the sunshine with family, with friends. Uh, you and I were talking a little bit about cancer before we started recording. And I even read this whole new book. Actually, I don't know if it's new, but it's, it's a book called Anti-Cancer Living. And it goes into the fact that the top variable related to lower risk of getting cancer or better odds of beating cancer is human connectivity, 
meaning being around people. And so I don't know if there are any studies about this, but I would love to see like a measurement of, let's say like inflammatory cytokines, gut inflammation and rise in cholesterol or blood sugar when you're eating, I don't know, supersized Big Mac meal with your friends and your family sitting around the dinner table laughing and enjoying a game versus just like hoovering it over lunch while you're checking emails. And I would imagine there's even like a little bit of a protective effect Absolutely. of human connectivity when it comes to eating junk food. Yeah, yeah, we, we know this to be true. And now of course we're using new scientific method to affirm these very logical things. And you know, one of the things that you said several times already is you've said the F word, you said fermented. Oh. Oh yeah. All right. Yep. Love fermentation. And you also said another potentially dirty word. You said bread earlier. You said sourdough. Mm. Now yeah. let's talk about the difference because in the blue zones, for example, a couple of them, they're eating bread, they're eating grains, but mm -hmm. these particular foods have been for some folks categorized as totally off limits and even dangerous. Let's talk about sourdough. And also this is in your book as well my wife's world famous sourdough fermentation bread recipe. Yeah, there, there are some people who think that many of these populations live long despite their grain intake, not because of it. When you step back and look at the, the polyphenol content, um, even some of the hormetic compounds, some of the nutrient density in properly prepared grains, I do think they offer an advantage. And there are some super grains out there uh, for example, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, the father of functional medicine, now raises a grain called Himalayan tartary buckwheat. It's one of the only flours that we now cook with because it's so nutrient dense. It's naturally gluten free, has less of the plant defense mechanisms in it, and it's a fantastic grain. You know, we use a lot of Palouse red wheat too, which is kind of like an ancient grain, like einkorn. And when I use terms like ancient grains, that means many of them have not been bred for high yield crop or genetically modified, meaning they're less capable of irritating the gut and they're less concentrated in lectins uh, like uh, gluten for example so the source of the grain that you're fermenting is important but fermentation in general is it's an old school method of preparing food in a manner that pre-digests the food that unlocks nutrients and that even in some cases concentrates bacteria that are beneficial to the gut so I've been making yogurt for the past three years on my counter. You, know, you can use a yogurt maker. You can use a food dehydrator in a pinch. You can use an oven on a very low setting. And it simply involves, and in my case, I like coconut milk. I'm, I, I don't do that well with dairy. We have goats. I do okay having some of the goat milk and goat yogurt every once in a while, but I do better with coconut milk. So I use coconut milk. I use uh, these little tablets from Amazon called BioGaia. It's a lactobacillus ruteri. And I crush those up and I put it into the milk. And then I add a little bit of sugar and I put that in a food dehydrator or yogurt maker for about 36 hours. When it finishes, I stir in gelatin to make it really thick, like jello. And I always have a batch of yogurt. And this, you know, you go to Erwan, you pay like 30 bucks for a mason glass jar of like really high end coconut yogurt or goat's milk yogurt or whatever. I'm making this for less than a buck for an equivalent batch at home. So I constantly have a batch of yogurt going and amazing studies on this L. ruteri strain. For example, a uh, real culprit for gas and bloating in a lot of people is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO. And Dr. William Davis, who introduced me to this recipe, has seen eradication of SIBO by consuming a cup of this yogurt over a four-week period of time. Helps you sleep better, helps produce oxytocin. That's one example. I also make water kefir, which gives you nice, beautiful, slippery poops every morning, and it's fantastic for the gut, and it can be used as a cocktail alternative in the evening. I got dirt-cheap water kefir grains from a company called Cultures for Health. Only have to buy them once because as long as you don't let them die, you can just keep your batch going over and over again. And they grow like chia pets. You can give them away to friends. All I do for my water kefir is I have a really big mason glass jar on the counter and I put my water kefir grains into it. And then I pour, I like to use coconut water. Some recipes call for water and sugar, but I find the composition of coconut water, not only does it have a good enough amount of sugar to feed the water kefir but i like the flavor it's like a richer creamier flavor so i usually i use this uh once upon a coconut company because their cans are lower in bpa and they also do these these um they have larger uh, plastic 
uh, containers as well. And I do about five cans of that in the glass jar over the water key for grains. Keep that on the kitchen counter for 48 hours until when I stir it with a spatula and put my ear to it. It's nice and fizzy. If I leave it out longer for that, I'll get a little alcoholic. So you have a fun time with your kefir if you leave it out for too long. But I like about 48 hours. And then I strain the kefir grains out. And I put them in a little sugar water in the fridge to save them for the niche batch. And I put the water kefir in the fridge. And that's the equivalent of about four of the $6.99 bottles of water kefir you get at Whole Foods or whatever. But I'm making, that's like a quarter for me to make all of that. Maybe a little bit more if you're using coconut water, but it's not that expensive. So that's another example. And then you can also use milk kefir. You're doing exactly what I just described, but you use milk kefir grains and like goat milk or cow milk instead of water or coconut water. I like to use that as a meat marinade. It also really makes eating organ meats taste fantastic. If you want to make like crispy, like some of the best like Southern style fried chicken you've ever had, you actually soak the chicken in kefir for 24 hours and then take it out and shake it up in the paper bag with the egg and the flour and everything. And it, it just makes the chicken taste amazing because the kefir enzymatically degrades some of the chicken, draws some of the gamey flavor out, makes the inside moist, the outside crispy. And then finally, you know, there's the sourdough bread, which is, you know, it, the, the process of sourdough fermentation actually pre-digests a lot of the gluten, breaks down a lot of the phytic acids and enzyme inhibitors that are in a grain. And you get this nice, crispy, chewy, gut-friendly bread that a lot of people who have gluten issues tend to digest a lot better. If you have celiac disease, you just you still can't eat grains. It's just how you're genetically hardwired. But the sourdough process of fermentation makes bread way healthier. And oh my gosh, when like my wife makes a new batch of sourdough bread twice a week, and I just slather that thing with like bone marrow and honey and sea salt and use it as like a delivery portal for olive oil and, and squash and, and soups. And it just, it's some of the best stuff ever. I will literally have like sourdough bread with a bunch of honey and peanut butter and salt on it for dessert. I mean, it's just, mm. it's amazing. That's, um, that is amazing. Yeah. Holy moly. Got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. No lifts, no gifts. Here are just a few benefits of building muscle seen in peer-reviewed studies. Building some muscle mass can significantly improve your insulin sensitivity, improve your overall hormone health, improve your cognitive performance, improve your immune system, protect you against injuries and speed recovery, and defend your body against age-related degradation. This is just a small slice of what a little bit more muscle can do. Now the barrier of entry to building more healthy muscle and reaching a state of physical fitness is easier than ever. Having a few key pieces of equipment at your house can absolutely change the game for you. Kettlebells, steel clubs, maces, battle ropes, all of these phenomenal multifaceted pieces of equipment are readily available to ship directly to your door. Go to onit.com forward slash model and you're going to receive 10% off some of the most premier training equipment in the world. Simple pieces of equipment that you can do dozens, if not hundreds of different exercises with. Plus they've got incredible programs as well to teach you different techniques for unconventional training to truly create more functionality in your health and fitness. On top of all that, Onit is also one of the world leaders in human performance nutrition. They've got the most remarkable pre-workout supplements and post-workout protein that you're going to find. All sourced from earth-grown ingredients, nothing synthetic, and they also have put their own products into real-world clinical trials to affirm their efficacy. Again, go to onit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model for 10% off everything they carry. Now back to the show. Now you mentioned, for example, utilizing ancient grains mm -hmm. versus what the fuck is Wonder Bread? What is that? I don't know if Wonder Bread is actually food or if it comes from space. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a highly, highly refined grain that uh, they basically stripped out a lot of the nutritional components of, I believe, the bran and the germ 
And the result is a hyper palatable, super chewy, readily processed food. If you put a piece of Wonder Bread in your mouth, you can almost taste it dissolve into sugar. People don't even know this about a lot of whole wheat bread you buy from the grocery store. The sugar raising glycemic index of that is like higher than candy bar. It's nuts. And sometimes higher than than the white bread. So yeah, bread, it can be candy more or less in terms of the way that your body interprets it and just imagine you take two pieces of white wonder bread and you put a little jam in the middle and and oh man you're just basically like a yeah like a (laughs) diabetic sandwich (laughs) oh man now is wonder bread coming from an ancient grain i i doubt that would fit within their margins highly doubt that it would come from a super grain yeah Yeah. we both talked with william davis and um he shared with me years ago is essentially there's this like it's kind of like a genetically altered dwarf wheat just making the process so much easier to churn out this wonder bread yeah and uh you know bunny bread that was our that was our jam as well yep i remember bunny bread i used to uh play a lot of tennis in lucent idaho where i grew up and between the tennis center and my house was the the little like hostess twinkies bakery that had all the old school like they were like the debbie's cupcakes and the twinkies and the red twinkies and the chocolate with the white filling mm-hmm. i would always chocolate drop house. in there yeah i always drop in there and get a baked goodie and then the way back or two would always drop into mcdonald's and get the some kind of a, a big old you know supersized meal from there so yeah, i grew up on this stuff you know yeah. it wasn't until i was probably i mean i started taking nutrition classes in college it really probably wasn't until i was like 24 i've been married to my wife three years at that point she had really bad acne and eczema and she came home from the library at university of idaho one day with this book called the dietary cure for acne by this guy named lauren cordain who i later found out was like the father of the paleo movement and she just kind of cleaned up our house right all of a sudden like the milk got replaced with natural milk from a local farmer and there was less bread in the house and there was more olive oil and a lot more good meat and kind of got a little paleo-ish and i started to feel fantastic and her acne like cleared up nearly overnight and that was when i really started to think beyond just the macronutrient back to the food label type of thing you know that that's the education that you get in a typical secular university is public university as far as the what you learn about nutrition you know it was then that i really began to tap into oh like how did our ancestors eat and how have we strayed from that and what does food processing do and what do seed oils do and you know how can we eat closer to the earth but yeah for me it was like 23 24 years old yeah yeah it's about the same for me as well and I had taken a nutritional science class mm-hmm. um, at that point. And again, we're kindly, I wouldn't even say that we're lacking in education. We're kind of miseducated in a, in a lot of different pieces, but it was that um, outside of the classroom education and consuming all these books. And this is the cool thing about today and learning from people like you, you know, like you get to learn from true experts, like the top people in their respective fields about this stuff. And not to downplay the role of you know my professor in my nutritional science class, but little did I know General Mills had contributed to our you know oh. funding for the for the education for the class uh, for the program, and they're one of the primary producers of ultra processed foods. And the same thing too. Are you had, saying that lobbying can influence the educational process? I mean, it, it never. If it looks like a, a duck. Thing. Yeah. If it looks like a duck, never bin. seen a coffee cup with a pharmaceutical company label on my doctor's desk. Never seen that. <laughs> but uh, we had a hostess, um, th- basically a thrift store mm-hmm. right by my friend's house. And so same thing. We go there because honey buns were like maybe 99 cents, but you can get like two for 99 cents or four for yeah. 99 cents. It just rack up on all these different yeah. things, all these grain products. I got to ask you, though, is there still one that either based on childhood experiences and palatability and that dopaminergic response or comfort food response that you still go back to? Like, is there something, if it winds up in your house, you're like, I have no resistance, I'm gonna eat it. You know what, man? I think maybe a part of it is that I don't see it. I don't mm-hmm. see this stuff. Yeah. But there are certain things that I think about that I can taste and it's just like, damn. Which is yeah. like, one of those is like Fruit Loops. Mm-hmm. Right, Apple Jacks. Yep. Those cereals yep. is just like, oh the man. The milk that's, from Peanut Butter vibe. Captain Crunch. There's yeah. this guy, uh, Tony Baker, this comedian. He's yeah. like, he he believes that cereal is the true soul food. All right, because of it's it's so diverse. It's mm-hmm. always there for you. It never yeah. ruins a meal. 
it's like it's always it's always an appropriate time for cereal and a lot of my cereal eating was actually in the evening you know it wasn't this breakfast cereal thing yeah but man that is some of the you mentioned it earlier just the marketing towards our kids and how addictive it is like i'm literally right now as we're talking about this like i Mm -hmm. i know that like i was addicted Oh yeah, big time. And and you know, like, you know, not not that you know this, this podcast. I don't believe is sponsored by them or anything. But there are some companies like uh, I forget the name. One company that recently sent me some really good like chocolate Fruit Loopy cereals. Another one was Magic Spoon. Right? Like my my son literally like pours a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal and puts a bunch of goat milk in there. And you know, it's still processed food. You know, they still got some cold expeller pressed sunflower oil in there. But I mean. Uh, by all measures it's it's pretty healthy stuff and so they're still getting that that you know comfort food type of flavor that nostalgic flavor that we all grew up with but in a little bit healthier way yeah it's that's the cool thing about today too is that just upgrading things you know taking something that is a big part of our culture and let's just do it let's do it a little bit better but still recognize what it is but we can do this a lot better without all the side effects yeah is there for me it's carrot cake by the way carrot cake i will eat i will eat carrot cake like it could be Full on like gluten bomb canola oil. If somebody leaves a slice of that in the fridge, it's gone. What's up? And my my family makes me carrot cake on my birthday, which is coming up in, on December twentieth. So at the time we're recording this, about <laughs> uh, twenty three days or so, and uh, I will literally like eat that carrot cake that they make me. It's beautiful. It's like a you know goat milk colostrum cream cheese frosting, and they use the ancient grains and the carrots, which technically makes it a vegetable, and, and you know, <laughs> maple syrup and cinnamon and nutmeg, and it's like a real, really great carrot cake. I will have that for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner until it's gone, and it's usually gone within about 24 hours. That's yeah. crazy, man. It's an amazing day. Yeah. <laughs> well, by the time folks are hearing this around, then you're going to be full of cake. Mm-hmm. And um, but also by that time, a lot of folks are going to get their hands on this amazing book. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share for people that they can look forward to in Boundless Kitchen? Well, besides the carrot cake uh, acai bowl that's in there. Mm, no, come um, on now. You know, I, I think I think probably one thing that I mentioned earlier that seems to be difficult for a lot of people is what I would consider to be one of nature's most nutrient dense multivitamins and that is organ meats. And I think that they can be delicious. You just have to know what to do with them. And they're inexpensive. A lot of butchers nearly give them away for free because nobody wants them, you know, in our day and age, even though, you know, years ago you hear stories about how the Native Americans would have given a lot of the muscle meat to the dogs and eaten the prized organ meats as, as the main nutrients, you know, for the for the warriors and the people who actually needed it to stay alive. And it's back to the, you know, part part of it is the high amount of fat-soluble vitamin content in organ meats. Part of it is the high amount of glycine, that amino acid that I mentioned is a little bit more life-extending than the methionine that you find concentrated in muscle meat. But you just have to know what to do with it because it's weird. Um, I can tell you, like, very simplistically to cut straight to the chase, and there's more details in the cookbook, but the best way to do it is you get whatever organ meat you're going to cook like let's say liver or heart or kidney right two perfect examples three good ones to start with you take it out of the package and you rinse it and then you take either buttermilk or kefir and you soak it for 24 hours and i like to soak it in either just like a glass pyrex container or even better a bag that you can buy off of amazon called a stasher bag it's a heat resistant plastic. And in a moment, I'll tell you why I like to use that. And after 24 hours, you rinse it and, and rinse the kefir off. And then what I like to do is I'll take one of those stasher bags and I put the organ meat into it, liver or kidney or heart or whatever. And I put whatever spices I want in there, you know, whether it's, you know, a traditional like onion, garlic, thyme, rosemary, or you could get crazy with, you know, paprika and black chili and lime and you know and and you know hot sauce you know whatever you want to do it's like mix and match once you've got it into the bag with your spices and i like to throw a little oil and vinegar in there as well because i can take the liquids and put them aside after cooking it to make a nice little gravy or sauce is i drop it into a bucket of water and i have this cheapo little tool that simulates what high-end kitchens use called a sous vide wand it's made by a company called jewel and it holds the temperature of the water consistent over as long a period of time as i want so let's say i want to have like melt in your mouth tender 
heart for dinner that night. Heart super rich in protein and coenzyme Q10 and mitochondrial supporting compounds. It's fantastic. I'll put it in the bag and I'll put like, let's say some paprika, some cayenne, maybe a little cinnamon to spice it up, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of balsamic vinegar. And I'll seal up the bag, I'll put it in the water, walk away at 9 a.m., come back, you know, 20 minutes before dinner, take it out of the bag, set aside the juices in a little pot for a little gravy or sauce later on. And then I'll just get out the, you know, like a serrated knife, cut it into slices, throw it for about two minutes per side and butter on a skillet. And I've got like fried buttered heart that's melt in your mouth tender, that's spiced, that's ready. And it literally took me like all in about 15 minutes to make. Put it in the kefir bag, take it out of the kefir bag, put it in the other bag, drop the spices in, drop it in water, walk away, two minutes per side. I mean, it's once you realize like how flavorful and how much of a culinary adventure organ meats can be, and you start to realize, oh, I could just like sous vide and spice and like walk away and do a quick butter grill. It's amazing. Like it's life changing. So these are all insights that you're sharing mm-hmm. in the new cookbook, and along with how many recipes are in there? I don't know. That's a. I should know that. <laughs> I, I think there's about. 50 to 60 recipes in both of my cookbooks yeah. the photos and the new are one's beautiful. called boundless kitchen yeah. yeah the photos are beautiful and you know the food looks delicious i can't wait to, to eat a meal with you and yeah. can you let people know where they can pick up a copy it should just be at boundlesskitchen.com i believe unless something's broken it should be there <laughs> or on amazon <laughs> boundlesskitchen.com and of course amazon mm-hmm. is a trusty retailer for books that's how they started off mm-hmm. now it's everything yeah. you can get a christmas tree story. or you can get coyote piss mm-hmm. and that's a true story really yes can i get coyote piss on my christmas tree <laughs> so i'm in i actually almost shot a coyote yes, yesterday morning i almost shot a coyote well see you see it this was, is what when i say it, stuff to you, there's gonna be something that but comes out i was waiting for a deer but a coyote walked right and we have chickens so i was yeah. just about to just like pull back my bow and shoot him but I thought, eh, you know what i if i do that i'm not gonna be hunting a deer today so oh yeah. my gosh yeah. well the you can get it for like fending off raccoons like they're scared mm-hmm. of, the, of the pee but that's oh, a whole other thing yeah and that's an, our next conversation all right my guy next time you me and some coyote piss <laughs> boundlesskitchen.com and amazon pick up a copy today the one and only ben greenfield thank you sir thank you so much for tuning into the show today i hope you got a lot of value out of this this is another great cookbook to add to your collection so many cool insights and i love that a lot of the cookbooks right now that are coming from true experts in the field of health and wellness are centered around more community and family wellness. And so there's this great statement that there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And right now this time is about true empowerment, family wellness, and getting our communities healthier. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it out. You can take a screenshot, of course, and share it on social media. Tag me. I'm at Sean Model on Instagram and tag Ben as well. I'm sure that he would appreciate the love. And of course, you can send this directly from the podcast app that you're listening on to somebody that you care about. We've got some epic masterclasses and world-class guests coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.